0: Hello, and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership interview. I'm Chris Whitehead, and our guest today is Darshna Patel, Deputy Head of Workforce Planning for Health Education England, former Vaccine Programme Director for Kingsbury Mandir and GP pharmacist. You can find Darshna on Twitter at Darshna underscore P. Darshna, welcome. Would you like to start by explaining a little about the role of Health Education England?
1: So I think Health Education England is a part of the NHS that is shrouded in a little bit of mystery and people aren't always sure about what Purposes and what health education England does, or sometimes that even it it exists. Um, but the role of uh, HEE uh, is to support delivery of excellent healthcare and healthcare improvement for uh, patients and the public of England. The way it does that. Is by ensuring that the workforce of today and tomorrow has the right skills, the right numbers, the right values and behaviours, and at the right time and at the right in the right place. So it's about it's about getting the healthcare workforce into a place where we can deliver for our, our patients and the public.
0: You qualified as a pharmacist, but have now moved into NHS management. Can you tell us a little about your journey? Yes and
1: no to the bit of having moved into NHS management because I think I'm still dabbling in lots of different bits and it's probably the millennial in me is it's about portfolio working uh, and doing little bits and bobs here and there as opposed to kind of sitting in, in one nice neat box but also a pandemic throws you into that space as well. So in terms of where I started, I have pharmacists in the family so you know probably is partly in the genes and actually I think it was a it was a talk of uh, by someone from GlaxoSmithKline when I was in school that really inspired me and I thought oh yeah this is the thing that kind of floats my boat so actually it was much more industrial pharmacy that inspired me in the beginning and then I did some community pharmacy placements and then everyone said oh you can do that down the line so in my yearbook, it said Alan Sugar's Next Apprentice. That that was kind of our, our thing. So everyone just assumed, and I think I thought, that I would end up in community pharmacy running a kind of business model. And it was as uh, somebody said to me, yeah, why don't you try out hospital for your pre-reg training? And I said, okay, yeah, let's give that a go. I can always pop back out uh, to community pharmacy later. And actually, I loved it. And I ended up staying there after I qualified. And what I found is, as I grew as a person, it was much more, it was less about pill popping, which is what pharmacy used to be when I was training for it, um, and kind of quite scientific. And it was much more about the people and the patients that you were looking after and kind of seeing them as a whole. And and that changed and transformed as I was there and sparked my journey into general practice, because I was, I think, at that point, itching for sharpening my clinical skills itching for that autonomy because i knew i could make some of those decisions safely so this is in a world before advanced clinical practice had kind of been banded around as a term um which you know is much more common now to talk about advanced practice and advancing practice um in the non-medical profession so this was uh, before then and yeah it was about being able to use my skills to the best of my abilities to serve patients and having some autonomy and being able to do that. So I moved into general practice, really loved it and moved into a lead primary care network role. So managing a team of pharmacists working across various GP practices. And the bit that stood out for me for there is actually the strategic element. So, you know, where do you put people? How do you deliver a service? How do you make sure that you have the right people in the right place to deliver the right services with the right skills? How are you assured? This is a relatively new role having pharmacists in general practice. And it was about how do we build that skill set? And also, how do we make sure that we are reassured that they have the skills to do the role? And I actually really, really enjoyed that kind of strategic element. So I ended up doing a fellowship with health education initially around advanced clinical practice and cancer. And for, from that, I created a workforce planning masterclass, which is still ongoing in a, on a virtual platform. And there's still a huge demand for it at the, in the system, as you might imagine, especially when we're talking about workforce constraints and um, being able to plan for the workforce, think systemically, think differently, and do that with some support as opposed to feel like you're doing it alone, is something that's really striking a chord with a lot of people at the moment. So it was from there, really, that I just realised that my passion is in being able to workforce plan, transform the workforce, supporting others to do that. Um, For me, it's about spreading the joy of working innovatively, thinking differently, and I think if you, if you kind of look at my career journey, it, it's not the yellow brick road that I thought I was going to go on. You know, you go into hospital pharmacy, you work up, you become a chief pharmacist. It's much more a meandering river. So it's about, for me, carving your own path. And it, it, although it looks like it's the longer route. It's actually the path of, you know, if you know geography, it's the path of least energy <laughs> and least resistance. Um, and I, I think that's how I like to think of my career. And it, it doesn't mean that I'm goalless or ambitionless because people will ask me, what's your next step? And I think for me, I'm driven by values and I like to listen to what's happening at the moment and use that to guide what opportunities I might take up to take me forward into the future.
0: You've been named as one of the 50 leading lights in the 2021 Kindness and Leadership Awards, partly in recognition of your work in setting up the world's first vaccination centre in a Hindu temple, the Kingsbury Mandia. The award cited your positivity and kindness. How do you think kindness is relevant to effective leadership?
1: Kindness is crucial um, and it's crucial for the style of leadership that speaks to me the most which is collaborative leadership um, it's probably my go-to it's my default and you know for me collaboration is at the heart of leadership fit for the social age and it's what helps drive innovation it helps drive it at scale in today's modern world you know we're, we're thinking about making change at rapid rapid pace and collaborative leadership allows us to draw on the best of what each of us has to offer. So it's about valuing what you bring to the table and what everyone else brings to the table and doing that in a way that is purposeful and drives for positive change. Equally, kindness is the thing that allows us to create safe spaces to be vulnerable and to challenge and be challenged and to think differently and to speak up and to nurture our collective resilience. And it's the thing that fosters trust, which cultivates psychological safety. And I just don't think that you can truly collaborate without that.
0: Your own outlook is strongly informed by your first-hand experience of positivity and kindness at work. Would you like to tell us about that?
1: If I'm honest, I've probably experienced positivity and kindness and the opposite. And it's having experienced both ends of of the spectrum that's allowed me to see what the benefit of kindness really is and it's the thing that's locked into me so sometimes my friends describe me as a kind of computer I'll process things and it will kind of churn through the system and then come up with an output and I think somewhere in that processing I must have seen okay if you don't have if you have a negative environment if it's quite toxic if you aren't supportive and collaborative what what are the outcomes How does it feel to be in that system? How does that system deliver? Um, Versus, okay, you can have a really intense working life or an intense job. But if you have that positivity and kindness, how do you feel? How does that deliver for colleagues, for patients? And I think, you know, somewhere in me, I think that's ingrained And the experience. I think that I can hone back to of the trigger or the, the time that switched for me. Is when I was working in hospital as a relatively junior pharmacist and I found myself um having to navigate this really complex myriad of ethical dilemmas. And it was trying to carry the weight of those systemic challenges and I felt like I was doing it alone, I was exasperated, I was exhausted, I wasn't being particularly nice because I was snappy and you know not in a good place. And I shared it without thinking almost with a a ward matron who I was working with at the time and I found that conversation was kindness. The fact that she listened, the fact that she validated what I was experiencing and she guided me to a place that was not about giving me answers but it was about giving me tools to find my own answers for the person that I was then so it was a real you know set of skills and actually i think a lot of it was was the listening and validating and why i say it was kindness and and why it's a conversation i still remember is because it wasn't it wasn't the kind of relationship we had it wasn't you know indicative of necessarily that environment but actually she embodied kindness and I, and then i started to watch how that ward ran and and it's that example that I was talking about. Of yes, it can be really intense, but you know, someone would say, you, "You look like you're shattered." Can I get you a cup of coffee? And the consultant can kind of turn around and go, "Oh, really? You know, this is what's happening here." But it was the glue that kept that ward running through periods of real intensity. And I think it was her kind leadership as the matron of the ward that inspired me.
0: Do you think there's a template? For creating a culture of kindness at work that endures,
1: I I see. I'm so anti-template, (laughs) so I probably wouldn't say template, but I I, I get the gist of the question. So I think for me, it's about there's no one-size-fits-all, and you know what works now might not work in the future. But I think these three concepts for me are the things that I come back to on a regular basis. So one is making ripples. That was something that was said to me whilst I was doing my fellowship actually because I wanted to change the world and uh, you know as everyone does but it was you know understanding that making a ripple is as powerful as making a wave and actually having seen that followed through has really locked that in for me as well so I think it's about recognizing that small acts of kindness aren't necessarily as small as we think they are and you know if you want to change a culture it's not by necessarily abolishing it It's about trying to chip away at it gradually Um, and definitely when I was in primary care I was able to kind of use that approach to during the pandemic to, to change my own pharmacy team's culture to a much more positive supportive environment and that was during a period of stress and high anxiety but it was calling that out and saying actually this is where we're all at and this is what we need to do so Uh, You know, there wasn't one thing, but there was there were a series of different actions, which I think allowed to make that change. So that was the first one. The second one is uh, linked to that same example. It's about nurturing uh, psychological safety. So it is about not thinking of that as a buzzword because it's the new new thing at the moment. But it's about talk. uh, You know, for me, it's talking about it. It's temperature testing. it. It's agreeing values to maintain it. And we did that in our pharmacy team um you know we created a a a list which sounds like it could be you know we've followed the process and done and then we'll put some words up on a wall but it was it was co-created and everyone was brought in and like I said it was the build-up to that and it was about growing this concept out to people who hadn't necessarily come across it before it's about say this is creating a space for us to really connect, especially as we're working virtually or in silos and you know, you've know you got social distancing in there as well. It's like, how do we let each other be truly seen, be truly heard, feel safe enough to be vulnerable and honest so that we can support our own and our collective resilience? And it doesn't matter what your job title, your banding is or your kind of organisational-wide influence. I think you're able to create those, micro havens and do that within your own team spaces and those things can grow because I do genuinely believe that kindness can grow so and the final point is for me about being authentically kind and you know this isn't I'm just kind and I've ticked a box and done this is difficult and for me it's a daily practice and it's a it's when kindness comes from a place of authenticity that it's really really powerful um, so, you know, we could probably all think of a time where you've got someone's actions and words that are incongruent, and you can see the smile, you can hear the words, and they don't quite match up. But, you you know, you might pick that up on a subconscious level. Um, and sometimes you can experience an inauthentic kindness where you sense an agenda. And I think it's about really thinking and challenging yourself about where that Is coming from and I would say probably an example where I've challenged myself on it is empathy it's the nature of being in healthcare that you want to help and support and often fix things but am I fixing so that I can be the helper is that authentic to kind or am I fixing because I want to help and and someone's asked for that help they can often be two different things and so it's it's a muscle that I'm trying to build is something I'm holding myself back on, checking myself in on to say, okay, is this coming from an authentically kind place? Is this what the other person is asking for and needs? And I think, you know, when you're doing something that's from an authentic place, it it builds trust.
0: Earlier, you used Julian Stodd's expression, the social age. He talks about the rise of radically connected and empowered social communities, yet the current age is also characterised by individualism and loneliness, I think. Are you and he being irrationally positive?
1: Uh, I don't think so. So I, I was I was put in touch with Julian when I was doing my fellowship, and so this, this idea of the social age, I think initially when I sat with it, I was like, hmm not quite sure it feels very radical it feels quite new and I've sat with it for some years now and I think actually the more I the more I've sat with it and the more I've kind of seen it and thought about it in the context of what I'm seeing the more it rings true so he says uh, Julian says "The, the social age is defined by change so changes in how we work how we learn how we lead how we connect and how we communicate and I think that's the change that we see all around us and it's change at pace. So for me, it feels true, it resonates, that that is what we're seeing. And I think we need to be able to adapt to change and be able to adapt to that at pace. And, you know, we've seen that there are, there are big businesses that are that are doing that and working differently. So Google in terms of how some of their working practices and Disney as well, I think they have a system where you're allowed to fail. You know, you're allowed to run off with an idea and bail, and that's how you come up with some of the best, newest, freshest concepts. And I think you know that, and that's about you know creating a safe space to do that. So I think for me, if we're talking about being radically connected and empowered, that is linked to collaborative leadership, and the idea of connecting as a community is part of collaborative leadership. So collaborating and leadership aren't opposites, they can coexist. I think if you are looking at this approach in the context of the social age, it's about challenging some of the traditional professional hierarchies. So being able to navigate old power, um, where you've got your kind of management systems, and this new power. So if you if you think about any organizational change, you've got the bulk of people connected and there are about 3% of of the people in there that are going to be the most connected across the organization those are the people who are connected into the new power the informal connections and the informal system that exists so you know you've got to be able to i think navigate both if you were even if you're thinking about organizational change and i think it's about balancing and it's a delicate balance, balancing the need to maintain professionalism, personal identity without pigeonholing. It's about balancing you know, the old and the new power. Um, so understanding formal power, the formal structure, as well as power which exists without title, without formal authority. And being able to really see, hear and collaborate with everyone around us, regardless of your positional power and the age-old boundaries and barriers. And, you know, that isn't to avoid making difficult decisions of I'll just collaborate and we'll bring people together and then, you know, we'll go by the majority. There are times when you're going to have to make difficult decisions and we had to do that. In, in the vaccination centre, you know, diff- there are definitely difficult decisions that need to be made. There are times when you need to use command and control. Um, and we had to do that around people flow. We had to do that around personnel. And they can feel unkind. But I think actually, if you're driven by, the thing that helped me through those is being driven by values and having values guide my decisions, making sure there's transparency. And, and that I think that transparency links back to kindness for me as well. So we're going through organisational change at the moment. And the thing I think that's working really well is transparency. Just saying, actually, we think we did well here. This didn't go quite so well. We're hearing you. And when you get that feedback, it's hearing the feedback and doing something with it as opposed to, yeah, I didn't quite like that. And, and that's hard. You know, none of that is none of that is easy to do when you're in the thick of it. You're trying to do your best. You're exhausted. But I think it's just so so valuable, and it can go a long long way. So I don't think it's irrationally positive. I think it's grounded in where in where where the world is now. We might not like it because we, we are creatures that strive for meaning and love boxes. Um, and the, you know this is a blurring of the boxes. But as someone who likes to say, what's outside that box? And is there another box? And is there a, a sphere somewhere as well, um, or a puddle? I think it kind of speaks to me.
0: You're writing a chapter in Amar Raghani and Joanna Bircher's latest book, Leadership Hikers. Incidentally, Amar Raghani was our guest in episode 33 of this podcast. What do you cover in that and how is it going?
1: The Leadership Hikers is a sequel to their first book and it brings together the stories of people who help the community to improve through connecting with what matters to them and I think this is something that all of society is yearning for beyond help the world of healthcare and so for me I talk about unsurprisingly leading with kindness and I talk about that in the context of my experience in primary care, um, in the in the context of the vaccination centre, and also, you know, in the context of healthcare more broadly. So I think it's relevant to, well, it's re- I think it's relevant whether it's primary care, whether it's healthcare widely, or, or whether you're in another industry. I think it's a concept that, for me, sits across different areas of work. So yeah, it's going really well. It's a new challenge for me me so I've not written for a book before and actually it's come at a good time for me as well um, having finished the role at the vaccination centre which was the toughest but the most rewarding thing I've done. It's come at a time that's allowed me to help process and reflect on that experience and kind of reflect on it more authentically and process some of the more difficult things um, and where you know where I'm going next and what comes after that. So actually, I want to thank Joanna and Amas for reaching out and for their patience and and support in focusing my thinking around that. And before I forget, um, the book is due out next year, early next year. So look forward to seeing that out and and reading the other contributions as
0: well. Well, I've read the original. It's an excellent book. And uh, so I'll be eager to get my hands on a copy of the sequel. Right now the NHS seems to be in crisis, for example there's a chronic shortage of GPs and as recently reported by the BMJ, a rising tide of violence within surgeries. Have positivity and kindness any role to play in a long-term solution?
1: Yeah absolutely, I think if you're working in that intense environment like I described earlier, Kindness to colleagues goes a long, long way. You know in our in our vaccination center, there were little things that we did that supported people during a really challenging time, and it was about creating connection. You know it might there were little things like having free lunches and a bean to cup coffee machine, which actually go a long way because you're you know you're you're delivering on on it, and it's not just lip service. But having time to connect with each other, um, and I know time is a word that everyone will say, I have none of, but making time to connect with each other, to listen, to say, are you okay? Are you really okay? And often it's having to say a third time before you get to the crux of, rather than I can see someone's not okay, but I don't have time to deal with it and I'm going to pass it on. These are things that are key to staff retention. So if you're thinking about it from a you know the wider lens of, of the workforce planning system, staff retention is a real, real issue. And the pandemic has left people exhausted, myself included. And if we aren't able to create those spaces, if we aren't able to give and receive kindness, because if you can't give with an open heart, you're never gonna be able to receive it with an open heart either. So I think that's really important to remember what we're going to have is a mass exodus of of our most skilled people and tagged onto that, a crisis around mental health. So it's as much kindness to the individual as it is to helping the service, helping patients. So I do think there's a lot to be said for kindness in the context of staff retention and kindness with patients. I mean, I really don't mean that in a hi, how are you, my name is kind of way where we we have a script to follow. But it's about connecting. And I know when I've been a patient, I can tell when someone is on script mode and isn't connecting, I can feel it. That experience has allowed me to think about connecting with patients. The thing that's always helped me is thinking, why has that person come here today with this? So especially when it's something that doesn't seem to be an issue, there's a reason that they came today. And I think especially at the moment when it's more challenging to get an appointment and, you know, we we, we know that there's backlogs in the system that the system is trying to work through. There's a increasing tension. Um, and, and I see patients and myself, you know, coming in with frustrations around not being able to get the help and support that they needed in the way that they would like to. So I think there's a quote from Brene uh, Brown, which I'm just going to talk about because I think it's... It's relevant here. Compassion is fueled by understanding and accepting that we're all made of strength and struggle. No one is immune to pain or suffering. Compassion is not a practice of better than or I can fix you. It's a practice based in the beauty and pain of shared humanity. And if you can bring that into your work as a clinician or as a receptionist, it's not the easiest place to be when you have someone shouting at you because they are worried, they are scared, they are frustrated, that kindness can change that conversation into something meaningful, something positive for you and for the person that you're trying to work with. So, you know, I've had many a time when people have come in for a routine diabetes review and actually they've ended up sobbing, but it's about getting to the root of the, the issue. There's something else going on. So I think for me, kindness across the system, how can we demonstrate that? So how can NHS England, how can Health Education England demonstrate that same level of compassion towards colleagues and to, towards the workforce? And I think the people director in NHS England are, you know, have made strides into, into doing that. And, and I hope that we're able to continue doing that.
0: Now we have a series of questions that I ask all my guests. What is your proudest achievement in your career to date?
1: I, would, I think I'd have to say the vaccination centre. Yeah, I think it was, there were two moments, I think, in the vaccination centre that, that really struck a chord for me. And one was when I said, we've got loads of extra vaccine left. It was a 12-hour shift about halfway through the day. I said, we've got loads of extra vaccine left. Can I push you guys and can we do more? And I I went to the admin team, the volunteer team and to the vaccination team and we went to each of them and we said, take a pause. Let's have a conversation. Can you can we can I ask something? Can we do something? And can we push the rate of appointments up to 600 patients an hour? That's the maximum you could push it to. And and we did that gradually to say, can, can I, you know, can I do it to 300? Can I do it to 400, 500, 600? OK, go and take a five minute break and then we're going to go. Just thinking about it gives me goose pimples because it was just such an incredibly powerful moment. Every time I had those conversations, everyone said, yes, let's do it. And I think what that was, was a testament to the fact that we built teams, we'd put these positive, and this was, you know, down the line. It wasn't right at the beginning. It was a lot further down the line. We've so got systems and processes and pace. But it it was that team glue and, you know, that trust that that I talked about at the beginning that allowed people to go, yeah, let's go for it. We can do this. And every single person, every single part of that pulled their weight, no matter how. And they were exhausted. We were exhausted. But we did that without a cue. So people were still in and out within half an hour and and I genuinely think it's a testament to every single person who was part of that center and who came in with the positivity and the kindness so for me it was almost like a test if I was to build a build a, a system if I was to build a hospital a build a ward a build a I wouldn't have ever thought vaccination centre, but, you know, as an example, if I was to build it, this is what I would do. And we put that all into place and we saw the fruit that it could bear on a day-to-day basis and in moments of real challenge. And actually we got through hundreds of patients and we got, you know, the more spontaneous vaccinations. And this was early on when we were desperately trying to vaccinate quickly so we could all come out of lockdown. So I think it was an incredible testament to... How we were able to galvanize the team to the temple's volunteer system they gave us a workforce when we first opened we said we need 60 volunteers so we had a workforce of 200 people a day and we had a, 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 you know at times the leading rate of vaccination for london so this was by no means a small center and we could do three and a half thousand vaccines a day and we when we first opened so, you know 6 p.m we said we need 60 volunteers by 7 p.m Sixty volunteers had turned up. I mean, it's just you know, and said, "Oh yeah, we'll 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 get tested. We'll learn the system, and we we've called work, and tomorrow we're going to volunteer instead." And you know, these were businesses as well that were saying, "Yeah, you can have our staff for, for volunteering." So, you know, that's the power of kindness, and yeah, it's a proud moment for me. And then the second example linked to the vaccination centre was the day that we had for uh, unregistered patients to come in. And it was uh, put messages out on social media, link up with the local charities and the local um, system to be able to access people who aren't registered. And it was just incredible. It was just incredible, the people that came. It was this opportunity to do good. And actually, when I was talking to to the volunteers and to the other staff and um, that were working that day, that's the memory that they have as well, just how incredible it felt to be able to do that and it was complex at the time to be able to make sure they get a job make sure they're able to have a second jab, that they get the right paperwork that we maintain confidentiality in the way that they need so there was just a whole lot of logistics around it but that we were able to do that and and it was genuinely a we were able to do that is i think for me a moment that i will never forget like just standing while people were waiting to queue and seeing the diversity in that queue was incredible.
0: And would you be prepared to disclose your biggest mistake and what you learned from it?
1: I don't know if I necessarily see a biggest mistake as such or that I would want to, because I think one of the things that makes me who I am and kind of allows me to keep going is is that I tend to see mistakes and failures as opportunities for learning and growth. You know, I I might sit in the oh my gosh, this is horrendous. I can't believe I did that for a while, but it will quite quickly process out into okay, where's the opportunity here, and how can I grow and develop? And I think that's linked to what you know, one of my own my own values. But I think if I if I say what would I have done differently of recent times, it is recognizing better the importance of looking after myself to be able to look after other people and not ignoring red
0: flags. Well, that's a neat segue into my next question, which is, what does your self-care regime look like today?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great question. Um, So, Actually, I'm looking at my self-care at the moment. And what it is, is a series of post-it notes on my wall Um, which are lots of bits that I've read so reminders things that I need to remember there's also a list of kind of the things that I want to do and have to do every day so you know meant to do yoga in the morning for five minutes and five minutes at night and meant to eat kind of healthy more fresher meals (laughs) have a regular bedtime go for a walk do a bit of exercise and I think one of the things that I'm Doing at the moment is is that walk. So going for a walk, I put a podcast on, and for me it's play. um you know, it's the time that I have to not be working, to not be thinking. It's almost meditative for me because I just love being outdoors. I've got perfect weather for it at the moment, and I've got uh, a reservoir nearby. And I just l- realised I love water, and I need to be around that positive energy. And as I'm in that space. I'm, I'm practicing gratitude so one of the things that um, I've learned recently is that gratitude is linked to joy and not practicing gratitude is the thing that diminishes joy and it's it's been true for me because that you know every time I've kind of given up that as a practice because there's always something to be grateful about every day even in your most rubbish days and you know, even if it's, oh, I'm just grateful I'm outside and getting some fresh air and I'm away from that or that it's over, you know, there's something to be grateful for. So, yeah, practicing gratitude, going for a walk, having positivity in front of me, things that I can look at, things that remind me to practice the things that I need to practice and build the muscles that I need to.
0: Is there a person or experience that has inspired you on your journey?
1: I. As a value set, I um, have faith as a strong value. And it's something I only recently came to realise when I was doing an assessment because it, you know, I'd always say, Oh, my values are integrity and kindness and, and all of those things. And, you know, those things are important to me and they sit under a value set that I have around leadership. But the other value set is is around faith. And I do have a strong connection to faith. I'm a practicing Hindu and it's my spiritual leader over the early years of my life that has really for me demonstrated what leadership and kindness is and he sadly passed um in 2020 but it was hit watching him um and how he was able to do all of these things so well you know link in so being a leader of a global organization but still link in and have those one-to-one connections with people and and it come to light after his passing how many people he connected with and just how powerfully and I I was talking to a friend about it and she said actually you know a lot of why I want to practice kindness comes from seeing that kindness embodied and why I would say okay you made a mistake let's give it another go or it's not quite work let's try something else so there's an element of perseverance that's come from that as well but definitely an element of wanting to see the good wanting to connect with people wanting to bring people together that have been inspired by him
0: is there a book podcast or video that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders apart from the leadership hike <laughs> yeah of course
1: uh, that's the first one um i think the podcast and books that i'm reading at the moment are around renee brown which is what you're hearing um because i am um, very much immersed in that space. And so she has a podcast there to lead, which is, you know, obviously for for leaders. I've actually started with unlocking us because I wanted to put almost the leadership stuff. When I say leadership, but leadership, so leading others to aside for a minute, because I I've done quite a lot around leading others and you know the various courses of things and thinking around that. The bit that I wasn't necessarily thinking about was leading self and looking inwardly so I've done some I, I've been listening to Unlocking Us which is around connection and people and humanity and uh, you know listening to some speakers from a whole range of, of of different backgrounds and everything has some some real value to add so yeah absolutely sitting in that kind of space and I've been reading Atlas of the Heart which I think has helped me kind of understand so it maps out all the different emotions and so it helped in terms of self-awareness being able to more clearly articulate beyond I am sad mad hungry what I might be feeling in that moment and also it kind of helps me to help others who I'm working with process some of what they're feeling as well so it's been a real interesting journey and kind of linked to that the gifts of imperfection so as a perfectionist at heart that's a great book Um, I've only just started but there's things in there around values and, you know, wholeheartedness, And I think we talked about self-compassion as well uh, in the past and linked to Kristen Neff's work, uh, you know, her, and her assessment as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of opening doors and connections for me in, in different ways. But I, yeah, I think I would say start with something that helps you look at you.
0: And finally, Darshana, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you can, I don't know if I'd be this person if I hadn't gone through that journey. So I, I mean, think I would love to do differently, but I just don't know that I'd be here if I didn't. So I leave it there. <laughs> Is <that a> <laughs> <ending>? <laughs> oh. Well,
0: thanks. I can authentically say that was a great interview, Darshna. Thank uh, you. Thanks for giving us a reason, a reason for optimism. Oh, thank you. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book on Amazon. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show, chris at This episode was recorded by Zoom, and the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CPU Records.